Greetings and welcome to Stanford Cinema. As always, I am your host. My name is Andrew. Thank you very much for downloading this latest episode. Today we are in for something, dare I say, epic. I dare, I dare, I dare say this is going to be epic. Because not only are we going to talk about one of my all-time favorite films in My Cousin Vinny, which we will be talking about. I, I promise it's on the on the show notes. You can you can see that we're going to talk about it. But more importantly, the guest that we have in store that selected this movie is a bit of a rock star. Um, I mean, not literally. I mean, well, she does play a guitar. So, I mean, and she's in a band. So I assume she's, you know, she's she's a bit of a rock star in, in, in some social circles. But in all circles, she is an author, which is really exciting. She recently published her debut novel, which she's going to tell us a little bit about. And I've had the pleasure of starting. And I got to tell you, it's super awesome. But I'm not going to spoil it. I let her paint a little bit more of a picture for it. But this should be pretty flippin' awesome. And um, something else really cool is that she hails... Well, she hails from the U.S., but she's currently residing over in France, which... I want to know a little bit about. So hopefully she's going to give us the details on that. But anyway, let's bring her on to the show, shall we? Without further ado, please welcome Lisa Zarina Michaud. Hello. Nice to meet you. Hi. Nice to meet you. Congratulations on your awesome podcast. It's cool. Thank you so much for, for hopping on the podcast. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Thanks for having me. Um, I just want you to know I dressed up for the occasion. I am in a beaded 1980s jumpsuit that belonged to my Aunt Dina Balducci to make it very My Cousin Vinny and keep on theme. And I felt like I haven't worn it ever, and I figured I'm going to wear it today. And there's a little matching belt, and it's polyester, and it's really hot. And so I did it for you, Andrew. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, totally looking the part. I love it. I, I mean, that's very, very, like, New York Italian. So I, I, I'm... Definitely, I'm all for it. So this is gonna this is gonna be a good time. Yeah, for the listeners, um, if you would, if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit, a little bit about yourself. I know that you you live over in France, and I'm, I'm curious to know how that came to be, and obviously about about your book, uh, which I'm right now reading. I'm seven chapters deep right now. I'm thoroughly enjoying that. But if you could just take a second to introduce yourself to our viewers or listeners. All right. Hi, everyone. I'm Lisa Serena Mishad, and I am a young adult author. I wrote my debut novel, novel Slanted and Disenchanted, which is a play off of um, one of my favorite albums by Pavement called Slanted and Enchanted. And the title does work into the story. Um, there's a reason why. It's not just random. And it's a, it's basically a love letter of my uh Love Letter to Rock. Um, I have a half French character, which I tie in a lot of the experiences that I have here in France. But if you can tell from my accent, I'm from New York. I'm an Italian girl from New York, just like making her way through Paris. And I moved here like 15 years ago. I was supposed to come here for two months, like a sabbatical before turning 30. And uh, that was when I was like 26 or 27. And I ended up staying and met my husband. And then, you know, once you have a baby, you kind of stay put. So uh, I'm a mom here in France and we don't even live in Paris anymore. We live in like a medieval village, like hour, two hours outside of the city. And hmm. you'd think I'd like, it's like, I, it's like my cousin Vinny every day. Cause I'm, I walk around and you know, my, 
I'm not in sequence jumpsuits every day, but you know, I still stick out. I'm not blending. I'm definitely not blending here. And uh, I know I speak French with a New York accent, which my husband gets a kick out of. He's French. And um, yeah, that's what I do full time. I'm a, I'm a young adult author and I'm working on my second novel, which should be coming out spring 2023. But for now, I'm enjoying uh, hearing from new readers about the, the current one. Yeah, I mean, uh, I wasn't kidding. I'm like I said, seven seven chapters deep right now. We've just had a little a little like Starbucks whoopsie uh, scenario that just happened. Where uh, well, I won't, I won't spoil it for for the listeners, but I'm enjoying it. I mean, I'm certainly loving loving the vibe of. I mean, a lot of a lot of rock, a lot of a lot of '90s. I mean, we get a reference to my so called life in there. I mean, this is. This is uh, this is my world, and it, it has some like strong like Nick Hornby vibes to me as well as I'm as I'm like getting this. So thank you for introducing me. Uh, I'm really I'm really enjoying it. So thank you for saying that, Andrew. Nick Hornby is like you know I read High Fidelity, and when I was like in se- senior year of high school, and I was like, yes, this you know it just made so much sense to me that I was like relating to some like like loser 30 year old protagonist or not even he's like even later he's like in his 40s I think mm-hmm. um record collector but because I'm a record collector so I mean that's a huge compliment and the movie I love just as much and usually that that doesn't always work where people love the book more than the movie but like the movie like John Cusack kills it he's just yeah super, the whole cast Jack Black everyone it's just such a great movie so thank you yeah, yeah. When did you uh, when did you start writing? I started writing. Uh, I mean, I've always been a writer. Uh, I've been writing since I was like seven, but it became mm-hmm. like a real job maybe about ten or fifteen years ago when when I moved here actually because what I did in New York I couldn't do here because in France you need like an actual you need a diploma for the job that you have even if you work in like a, a shop or if you're a clerk or you sell hats like they're very strict on education and I didn't. I went to Evergreen, which we talked about, and I worked in fashion in New York. So those two don't really connect. No. <laughs> I worked for Mark Jacobs and I was doing something not related to what I was doing at Evergreen, which was Indian dance and Japanese dance. And so trying to interview that in France where the you know education is very is taken very seriously, as it is in the States as well. But here it's like you need the diploma to match the job that you're applying for. And they were just okay. kind of like, yeah, we can't do anything with this. So I decided to give writing a shot and translating and it worked out. And that's that's what I do. So you had mentioned like you were from New York. So I was just kind of curious, what part of uh, New York are you from? I'm born and raised in New York City in Chelsea. But my mom's from Long Island, so that's why I have the Long Island accent. My grandma's Where from Long Island. Island? Um, near Mineola. Okay, my mom. My mom was born and raised in uh, Smithtown. Oh, it's like what is that? Exit sixty two or something on the LIE? It's like it's out there. It's pretty out yeah. east. Mm-hmm. But we have friends in Smithtown. Yeah, I love. Yeah, Smithtown. I mean, she, I mean, she's now like a, a a Florida New York. I mean, she you know like everybody else, you know, she just moved down to Naples, Florida, and that's just that's that's her home now. But that's where she was. Uh, she was a Navy brat, but just, that's where she that's where okay. she hails. So she still has a little bit of that 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 Long Island. Uh, uh, it, that, it comes out in spurts. So yeah, we it totally does. Oh, but my mother's side is all like New York Italian. We're just the the fair blonder blonder Italians, if you will. They exist. My brother's blonde and blue eyed. So, I mean, it, it happens. But yeah, so like my whole family, like my grandfather was born in Brooklyn, but then moved to Italy and then came back to Brooklyn um, when he was 18. 
so like New York runs in our blood. My whole family, they live in the Bronx and Queens. Like I'm just like a full on borough kid. And then mm-hmm. high school, I moved to Long Island. My mom had, had us move out east. So I think that's where the accent got really crystallized. I think that's where <laughs> I got reflected the accent. And my accent's pretty light compared yeah, to I mean, my not, family. I mean, we're not we're not getting like like Mona Lisa Vito like style. I mean, it's not that strong. But uh, I mean, you you can always you can always find a New Yorker, even if if even if it's not like super strong. You can definitely know. It's once you get it or you're probably born with it, but you never really lose it. You can try to be a little bit more non-regional, but it's going to show. It's going to show. I, I try and be non-regional all the time. Like when I do like my writing <laughs> podcast, I'm like, be just plain. And I can't because then it just comes out and I just feel like I am. I The defense is wrong. Like I feel like just saying <laughs> stuff like that. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously we're, we're here to talk about my cousin Vinny, which I mean, that was a movie that you had suggested, which I thoroughly was excited about, you know, it just, the the whole idea of this podcast is the guest chooses a film that we talk about and I watch it and then we discuss it. Now, generally it works out pretty well that I'm, I'm pretty excited to watch a movie. Sometimes, you know, it's a little bit of. All right, let's 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 get hyped. Let's try to get excited for this film. But in the case of this one, I mean, my cousin Vinny is among my all time favorites. I've seen it way more than any sane person should ever see anything. So when you said, can we talk about it? This is more like therapy for me so I can get this movie like off my chest and talk about all the elements of this film that I love as well. So so thank you for uh, for suggesting this film. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, I'm with you, too. I mean, if it's on TV, even with the commercials, when I'm back in the States, I'll watch it. And we actually, when I rewatched it a few days ago, just to freshen up for the podcast, I had my son watch it, and he's seven. And I was like, uh-oh. I mean, curse words, he's he's heard it all. But he, he was like... So the guy in Home Alone is now a lawyer. I'm like, <laughs> and I forget that this is the next generation. And then he's like, and why does everyone talk like grandma, my mom, who he calls Ma? <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I, this is, it just felt just like something. I like, this is a movie I'm very passionate about. So when I, when I wrote to you, I'm like, oh God, he might not like it. Cause you know, it's, some people just don't like this movie. And when you wrote me back, I was like, yes, cool. It was definitely an easy one to respond back to is the moment that, again, it's one of my favorites. So when I when I see that, I'm like, oh, that I, I got to interview that person. I mean, immediately. So, yeah. So it's Ooh. definitely a win. Now, when when did you did I mean, did you would you, would you have seen this movie in theater or when did you first see this film? I was about. Uh, 10 or 11 when it came out. So I, I wasn't really rushing to the theater to see it. Although I did see singles that year in the theater, um, which was completely inappropriate, age inappropriate. I didn't understand anything that was going on. Another podcast episode. Um, mm-hmm. I watched it uh, senior year. I had a boyfriend who told me, he was like, you remind me of Mona Lisa Vito. And I was like, who, who the F is that? And he's like, Marissa Tomei, my cousin Vinny, you've never seen it. You're Italian. Like, how have you never seen it? So we sat down, we watched the movie. And I'm like, yeah, all right. She's kind of like me. I get it. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. Yeah, yeah I, she's cute. It's fun. I love the outfits. And I, uh, and then I just fell in love with the movie. And him and I, I'm still friends with them. We still quoted, 
quote the movie to each other via text. Like he'll be like, are you mocking me with that suit? (laughs) We still nerd out on my cousin Vinny. Now, obviously, we're talking about this movie because we know it very, very fluently. But would you be opposed to kind of introducing the film for the listeners that might have, I don't know, lived on another planet for the past few years? What what my cousin Vinny is actually about? I'll try. Okay, and then I'll fill in any fill in any cracks. Yeah, jump in. Um, All right. So, my cousin Vinny is. A movie that came out in 1992, and it follows the story of two young boys going on like a you know the all American road trip from New York to what are they? They're going to California. Yes, the cross country road trip. I think it was like US. Uh, they were going to like UCLA or or something. I don't know. I don't know why I thought that, but they're heading out. Yeah, the American dream of heading out west. You know, with the convertible. They got this old you know mint mint green convertible and. With their New York plates, which is all always said, like kind Buick of Skylark. The, yes, the Buick Skylark. It um, with the New York plates, the old school New York plates with the uh, with the Statue of Liberty on it. Mm. So they're crossing the you know, crossing the the U.S. They're in the South and they're stocking up on food at a kind of you know a little convenience store on the side of the road. And Billy, who played by Ralph Macchio. He slips a can of tuna in his in his pocket and realizes that, you know, they didn't pay for it, but they paid for everything else. And so they get taken in, you know, and they're in the South. And so they think that they're getting pulled over for the can of tuna. Lots of misunderstandings uh, ensue. They find out that they're being pulled over for murder, uh, murdering the clerk. But the best part is those, you know, those misunderstandings like I shot the clerk. I shot the clerk, you know, they're, they're talking over and over about the, you know, when they bought the food and then the can of tuna and the police are getting frustrated because they're kind of like, but what point did you shoot the clerk? And Ralph Macchio just repeats, I shot the clerk. I shot the clerk two times, which ends up biting them in the butt when the trial happens, because there's going to be a trial. They don't have money for a proper lawyer. And so they call their cousin Vinny, who comes in from Brooklyn, drives in from Brooklyn with his Brooklyn girlfriend. But the problem is Vinny hasn't hasn't gone to court yet and he says he hasn't had to go to court knock on wood because he's not a really great lawyer he it took him six times to pass the bar and so he's just kind of winging it and he totally screws up the arraignment where he has to just say guilty or non-guilty and he's there all ready to argue like it's you know law and order and the judge is on to him the locals don't want to hear these like New Yorkers because they're all standing out with their leather jackets and the mini skirts. And, you know, Marissa Tomei plays uh, Vinny's girlfriend. She's taking pictures with the little pink camera. She's looking for Chinese food. And it's just, it's a comedy of misunderstandings. And if you have any interest in law and you don't have to be a lawyer, but if you do have a little interest in it, it's very funny because it's pretty much what you shouldn't do in a courtroom is what my cousin Vinny is. That is a no, no. You you nailed it. You, you that, that's a perfect summary. Now I don't know if you if you've done any research or you if you've heard about how this film came to be at all. No, I know Jonathan Lynn was the director, and uh, he's not from New York. Um, so no, I don't really. 
really know much other than they, I remember hearing that they had done some test screening of the movie. And he said that the response for the test screening was like off the charts every single time mm-hmm. they test screened it. And that people would just really like this like fish out of water story. But other than that, I really don't know any of the, the background. Do you? Yeah. Know the so, um, what I, I mean, only just from what in like research for this episode. Now, I was kind of blown away by it. The the writer producer Dale Lawner, I think is his name. He had written uh, a few other other screenplays and and had done a couple other films. But he had heard this story about this lawyer who had failed the bar thirteen times, and he basically uh, created crafted a story. Uh, he went on a road trip himself. He got stuck in the mud somewhere. He put that in, in the screenplay. But the whole idea was based on this attorney that had failed the bar like over 13 times. And he, he just needed to know about that. He met a district attorney down in like New Orleans, like befriended him. The guy reminded him of Lane Smith, who played the the other attorney. So he like Lane Smith was a guy that he wanted for that role and uh, just a bunch of other little like nuances in that film all happened during like the screenwriter's journey uh, to kind of craft, craft this great American uh, courtroom comedy. And as you said, I mean, this is one of the, one of the finest, I think, courtroom uh, films, not even just comedies. I mean, I, I you know, I, I try to make a list of my favorite uh, courtroom films and, Without question, I mean, this is my personal favorite, but I mean, there, there are a myriad of great ones out there. But I mean, that's just a little bit about how how this uh, how my cousin Vinny came to be. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that, but yeah, I can see all those little details like getting stuck in the mud like that. That felt very real, you know, and I'm sure uh, the scene where they have a choice of getting breakfast, lunch, and dinner at the little greasy spoon. I feel like that was a real, a, a true anecdote that came from, I guess, the writer's oh, experience. Yeah. Yeah, he also, yeah, he also said that where everywhere that he went, grits were on the menu everywhere. And I mean, that is very much true. I live in Atlanta and you can't go to a proper Southern establishment without having grits on the menu. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a way of life. Yeah, well, that sounds good to me. I would love to get some great seafood in France. I'm pretty sure that you're doing okay when it comes to cuisine over in France. I mean, I know that you said that you no longer live in Paris, but what is the the food like out uh, out where you're at? We have two creperies, which are amazing because the crepes here are made with um, buckwheat flour instead of the white flour. White flour is for sweet crepes. And for a savory crepe with like spinach and cheese and egg, it's made with buckwheat and it's so delicious and naturally gluten-free. So that's a, a popular um, dinner here. But then, you know, just regular, you know, coco vin. Um, we have a fondue restaurant that just opened up in town, which was really quite delicious to go to in like February when it's really cold here. A nice glass of white wine, some fondue. Mm. And... Uh, I mean, the French like their burgers too. I, I hate to, I always have to like blow the lid off that myth. They love their, their American style burgers, like really big ones. And so I do, I find, I find living here, I've eaten more burgers than I have in the States. Because they make it so <laughs> probably do better too. So. Probably make them but pretty damn they good. They pile them up. They're like, there's like camembert on it and like foie gras. And it's like, wow, do we really need all of this stuff on the burger? Yes, we do. I learned you do. <laughs> Just dig it. Mm-hmm. Messier, the better. Um, oh, well, great. So what I'd like to do when it comes to really discussing my cousin Vinny, obviously this movie is 
I mean, it's, it's a very like beloved film. I mean, critically, when the movie came out, it did really well. You mentioned like the test screenings. So like Rotten Tomatoes gives it an 87 approval from the critics. The audiences give it an 87 approval uh, from, you know, from their viewership. So, I mean, just beloved across the board. But one of the elements I find remarkable is the, the, the character specifically of Mona Lisa Vito, played by Marissa Tomei, which she went on to win an Oscar for this movie. But did you know that the like the producers they didn't they they actually wanted to cut that character out of the film entirely she like saves the day she's the reason why the thing wins the case on many levels like Mm -hmm. uh, when she was on the stand when she called judge malloy you know when she found out about disclosure (laughs) so much (laughs) like she she like makes the case i'm wondering why I know it's it's one of those those Hollywood executive things. I don't know if it had to do with the fact that they they felt that she was she was too perfect. You know, she she was an expert on this. She saves the day in a myriad of ways. Uh, but yeah, they, they 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 wanted to nix that character and Dale Lawner, the screenwriter producers like hell no, like, no, we're you we can't. This is the the real life force of uh, of the film. She I mean. She is the biological clock that makes this movie tick, quite frankly, right? I mean, that's what that's what her character is all about. Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah. And that, Okay, if you want to look at it logically, it is very convenient that she knows all about the axle and the, you know, it didn't exist in 64 because Chevy didn't make it, you know? Like, it, it, okay, it's convenient, but it's a movie. You know, at the end of the day, none of this would have happened because we, uh, Vinny would have been exposed before the, you know, before it even went to trial, especially in this day and age. I mean, so you got to look at it in a way, just it's a movie and we you needed some female energy. Otherwise it was, it would be a very masculine movie. You know, she really mm-hmm. balanced out the testosterone, even though she probably had more testosterone than like the rest of the cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she works in the shop, you know, she does the, yeah, she's just one of the, one of the, just the, the great, great characters. Um, and I'm trying to remember how, uh, for my research, how she, why, how they landed on her. I think the, the I, I think Dale or maybe it was Jonathan Lynn that had seen, uh, the movie Oscar, which I don't know if you ever saw Oscar. It was this 1990 comedy with, uh, Sylvester Stallone, not, not, a uh, a huge movie by any means and it certainly wasn't a critical favorite but it's really funny and she has a small role in that movie but they originally wanted like Lorraine Bracco uh for the film they think there was another another like um oh shoot another actress I can't remember but they had passed it up and then shoot what even the role was it, was it Mira Sorvino I feel like she would have been a, a it contender might have been, it might have been but I don't it might have been, but I can't recall. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked if that was her, if, if they were looking at Mira Servino. Um, the role of Vinny, they originally wanted, uh, who, uh, oh my God, I can't believe Robert De Niro. I mean, they, they had different people for it. And I'm like, I could see Robert De Niro in it uh, because at that time, Joe Pesci, who obviously had been acting, but... He he had just wrapped up doing Lethal Weapon two, and uh, it was he was just getting ready to start doing Goodfellas. Like so, he was starting to 
make a name for himself as far as from like an audience perspective. But he was maybe like the fifth or sixth person like on their on their lineup. And while I think Robert De Niro could have done a great job, I mean, he was awesome as the Italian gangster in like the analyze this and that, you know, like so his comedic New York you know chops are are definitely there. But at this point, it's hard to imagine anybody other than Joe Pesci as as Vinny. Totally. Yeah. No, no. I think the casting across the board, even down to like the, def- uh, the defense lawyer, I thought Trotter was great. I, mm-hmm. That actor, I don't, I, what, what was his name? Lane Smith. Oh my God. He, he really has some like great comedic moments too. When he's, uh, you know, trying to razzle and dazzle the jury. He was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And Stan, oh my God. Stan cracks me up. My, one of my favorite lines in the movie with Stan, um, there's this there's this scene where um, Ralph Macchio, Billy, I still have to call him Ralph Macchio. He's like, I don't know, we I gotta keep uh, Vinny because you know we, it's family, and that's such an Italian thing to be like, it's family. You can't fire him. My ma's sick, you know. And Stan goes, Wouldn't you be more mad if you were dead? <laughs> it's such a funny line, and he says it twice. No, but wouldn't you be more mad if you were dead? Like logically, <laughs> like. And Italians don't know logic. They're like, yeah, but it's rude. Like, you can't fire your your cousin. He's like, what? It, uh, one of the things that started was like, well, like, how did he convince him, right? And it goes back to like this car trick, but he, he doesn't mention like, well, I'm sticking with him because he just gave me a car trick. Uh, did, which, by the way, there, there was no like camera trickery. Like Joe Pesci learned how to do that, you know, do the car trick. And it's basically like a tabling trick where, you know, he has, when he's showing him the car, there's literally two cards right there. It's just... It's a, it's a, I mean, shit, I can grab card and actually, you know, do that, do that trick on camera for you. But he, he got really, really good. And he took a long time to perfect that, that card trick. And, uh, I love, I I love that they use that and that they, that they did like a real card trick. And it's just very like a sleight of hand, like fast tabling, uh, trick that, that is just one of my like favorite subtle scenes in the movie, but everything about Vinny, Vinny that I, I just thoroughly love, like from the moment that he walks into the prison and he tips the, the prison guard is just, just like <laughs> chef's just beautiful. You know? <laughs> yes. And it's funny every single time, every single time the jokes land every time you watch it. And like, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And, and they use real like prison guards and police officers all throughout the film. Like none of them were actors, which which also gives it even like something really funny because just like the the reaction of of the officer is just it's just very natural and organic. And again, it, yeah. the joke lands every time. It does. It does. And it's well, especially that that scene, that misunderstanding between him and Stan, that first scene where he says he just wants an in and out procedure and he didn't come down to Alabama to get jerked off. <laughs> it's just <laughs> I'm not jerking you off. He's like, I'm not doing any of it. How about we do none of it? <laughs> uh, just like, a brilliant, I- brilliant screenplay just across the board. It's you know, it's one of those movies. And I, I know that you had uh, mentioned that. Uh, that you quoted with, I think one, you said one, I think you said one of your friends. Uh, I mean, it, it really is. It's just a movie that has a very strong replay factor. And it's just one of those movies that can just slip into just regular daily conversational lexicon. I mean, it's, and this now, this movie is now officially 30 years old. And I mean, you mentioned it came out in 92. It's 2022. I mean, that movie is now 30 years old, which is 
insane to think because I do remember uh, watching this movie in the movie theater. For those that listen to this podcast, they know I, I've probably seen a lot of probably way too many movies in the movie theater. I've, I've done other things in my life, but I have spent many hours in the cinema. And I do remember because uh, this movie was R. Like, I mean, and there's no there's no nudity. The only reason and there's there's no blood in the film. The reason why it's R is with the excessive fucks that are that are that are lashed out in this movie. But I just I, I loved it. And I had to tell everybody immediately after after seeing this film. And and 30 years later, I still quote it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. I well, one of my favorite lines is when Vinny tells uh, uh, Lisa to watch her mouth. <laughs> When she's trying to pull her back into the courthouse, she's like, get your fucking hands off me. And he's like, watch your mouth. <laughs> like now it's like literally the last 10 minutes of the film. I'm like, now they're addressing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was, yeah. I, I, I didn't count how many F bombs were in the movie. I, I think if I would have done even more homework, I probably would have researched uh, all the fucks in there because this movie it's up there pound for pound. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's very, very, uh, not to hopefully not to offend any New York Italians, but it feels very like New York Italian authentic with the way that they, you know, that the many that many of them speak. Uh, and I'm, I'm speaking specifically with my mother and uh, her siblings. So it reminds me of my aunts. So but that's that that's something that I that I love about this film. Well, min, one of the million things that I love about this film. Well, there's a really authentic moment when um, when Vinny and Lisa are at the diner. It's their first morning in Alabama. They want to get some food and they see the lard slide across the, you know, across the grill and their expression is my family. When we're like at a restaurant, that's not Italian food. Because when I go to New York, we go out to dinner almost every night and it's Italian food, Italian food, Italian food, but just different restaurants all over Long Island. (laughs) And my husband, he's French. He was just like, can we get another, can we get other food? And my grandmother would be like, there's no other food. You're going to starve. You go to another restaurant, you're just going to starve. And so they're <laughs> if you eat anywhere else, it's it's starvation. And so they're looking at the lard slide across the, the, the grill and their face is so authentic. It's it nails it right there. That's that's what my family looks like when you put something else in front of them. Like I try to make them a vegan meal once one night. I was like being creative and. They were just like, they, they they went home and they were like, we had to have dinner afterwards. I'm sorry. That wasn't food. And it was like really filling. It was like, I was like, but there's kale. And they're like, okay, honey. All right. And so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that scene. And then like, you, you, you see just kind of that sheer terror. And then uh, Joe Pesci uh, goes like, you guys hear about that ongoing uh, cholesterol problem in the country. And then just the, the uh, the 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 chef guy just kind of like gives him a look back, and what I remember also uh, hearing about when the screenwriter told everybody that he, he was going to be making a movie about about these New Yorkers in the South, everybody was like super nice, everybody was excited, except until the point when they realized they probably were going to be a little bit more of the butt of the joke, right? But I think this movie does a good job of making fun of. Both like, uh, you know, New Yorkers and Southern people and being able to find that there's a balance that that everybody is equally smart and ridiculous at the same time. You know, I mean, nobody really is singled out as the butt of the joke. I mean, we are tracking specifically, you know, uh, Vinny and Mona Lisa Vito and then obviously Ralph Macchio uh, and his buddy. I mean, you know, so we get that element. 
But on the, on the flip side, I mean, Judge Chamberlain is sharp as a tack and Trotter is a hell of a hell of an attorney in his own right. Very smart, just just with a different accent altogether. That's all. Yeah, no, I didn't. I, I thought what was funny was seeing them, seeing everyone respond to each other, like the difference of cultures and how the Southerners responded to the New Yorkers and like Vinny with his like leather, you know, his leather jackets and the belt. I love the belt, how it loops down that like mm-hmm. little like Western belt. And then the, I think he's like wearing Z Cavaricci jeans, right. um, you know, you know, it's like high waisted jeans and how the New Yorkers respond to the Southerners. And so it just kind of how we're all a little ridiculous when we're so set in our ways. I think that was more like, that was the theme I picked up on. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It was, uh, and you know, that's one of those elements about like fish out of water stories anyway, but this one is just a, a genius maneuver just to get two very, very rich, authentic accents and have them go toe to toe and just challenge with audiences expectations on what you're going to get when these two worlds collide. Right. And this movie greatly succeeds. I mean, it takes place in Alabama, but it was filmed here in Georgia. Uh, I don't know how far outside of Atlanta, but it's, it's filmed in a town called Greensboro, Georgia, where they, uh, they, they shot like some of the, the film in the heat of the night way back in the day. So a lot of stuff is made here in Georgia, but that, that movie came out in 92. So it was kind of the pre Atlanta Hollywood boom that has kind of uh, taken over the industry where it seems like every movie is made here in Atlanta and the greater Georgia or greater Atlanta area. I didn't know that. Why? Uh, Taxes, really. Basically, we like the state of Georgia gives um, the Hollywood, you know, the, the movie industry kickbacks. And so everything really, not everything, but a good chunk of your your films are, are made here. I, I mean, uh, most, not most, but a great chunk of your like Marvel films, like those Avengers movies were, they, they were all filmed here. And a lot of your Netflix series are, are filmed here. I don't know how much Walking you get. Dead. Was the Walking Dead filmed, is the Walking Dead filmed in Georgia? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Walking Dead. Yeah. <laughs> Very much uh, filmed in Georgia. The TV show Stranger Things is filmed in Georgia. Uh, the okay. TV show Ozarks is filmed in Georgia. I mean, it, it's all it's all filmed here. But again, it all just goes. It, it's a just you know uh, the state of Georgia just offers tax breaks to uh, to to the film industry to make everything out here. So, but anyway, I bring that up just because that's you know my cousin Vinny was made here long before that. But there have been movies made in Georgia forever. But it just a. Uh, uh, it, it, it's kind of that every state where Georgia, we, we've got mountains, we've got hills, we've got kind of like a dry area, we've got farmland, we've got some city stuff, you know, so we can look like just about anything. And of course, if they need to do something specific, like like an external city shot, like, oh, we're going to be filming where this show takes place in Chicago. It's easy just to get a single shot of like an external Chicago, whatever. And, and then everything else is filmed here locally. All right. So obviously we, we've talked a lot about, uh, different, uh, different dialogue, different characters, but I, I am curious, is there like a scene in this movie that, that like stands out to you that that's your, like your favorite moment from the film at all? God, no, they, there's just, there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. I, I, okay. Well, I don't know if I would call it my favorite, but I love the scene when, uh, 
again, Ralph Macchio, I'm not calling him Billy. He, he, he can't I be can't. Billy. He's not Ralph Macchio. Like I gotta. He's Ralph Macchio or Daniel LaRusso. That's the only way that I know him. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when he, when he's calling his mom at the police station, he's like, ma, ma, because that's what I sound like. I'm on the phone with my mom. I'm like, ma, ma, ma. And he's like, wearing wazoo. <laughs> it's like so insulting. And all the things that comes out of his mouth afterwards is so freaking insulting. And they're all like hearing him screaming into the phone. And he's like, murder. <laughs> he's like, yeah. we got to for what murder <laughs> it's just like another scene that i appreciate i don't know if it's my favorite um of course the famous you know and my niece got married and my biological clock is going like this you know that's like the famous scene mm-hmm. but my favorite part of that scene is not so much her it's Vinny's response where he like expo- you know pretty much like shoots off everything he's going through and then he mentions her bang 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 biological clock and then he folds his arms and then looks up and purses his lips and it's that that comedic gold it's like you know you wonder like was he coached to do that and like the way she moves too you just wonder like did the director tell them to do that or is just that their their natural acting talent coming out you know just so many little things like that and when you see the movie like 30 times you pick up on all those little those nuances yeah, and the her her pacing is so good in that jumpsuit, and her hair is done like the, her hair in that scene is completely different than any other scene in the movie, and you just she's just turned up to eleven in that moment, and and then he comes back and completely shoots her down, and then he gives her that look, and then she's like, maybe it was a bad time, you know? It was it's just it's just genius. I mean, just the the setup and the payoff, it, it just delivers time and time again. Now, you mentioned uh, uh, Ralph Macchio, uh, sorry, Billy, uh, Daniel LaRusso, whatever we want to call him, but, you know, Karate Kid, right? Uh, what's amazing is Jonathan Lynn fell in love because he, he, he auditioned for the role. Jonathan Lynn didn't even know that he was a Karate Kid. He had, he, he had never seen the Karate Kid. He just was blown away by, like, the audition. He was familiar with the name uh, he might have known who Ralph Macchio was, but he didn't. He didn't know the Karate Kid from, you know, um, I don't know, Top Gun. I mean, he didn't know the difference. You know, he so he he was, he was just blown away with with the the performance itself. And again, I mean, this is a comedy. This I was going to say, this isn't necessarily like one of the movie that you think of as an Oscar film, but shit, I mean, the movie literally did pick up an Oscar for for uh, for Marissa Tomei, but. Again, just this great ensemble cast. I mean, you know, we we we've mentioned obviously Joe Pesci, Marissa Tomei, and uh, Ralph Macchio and Lane Smith. But shoot, even people down to the uh, the uh, like the the local guy Austin Pendleton, who like who, who seemed real sharp until the moment where he had to give like his opening statement, and then he just stuttered all over the place. It just. I I remember watching this movie with my father, you know, it like on like VHS or DVD or something, you know, like 25 years ago. And it was the first time he had ever seen it. I don't remember seeing a man laugh so hard to the point where he was just like in tears during like the stuttering. It was it, it's just this is just like a gut, like just belly laughing, just genius comedy. So I've had a lot of fun talking about this. Is there anything else? that you'd want to, you want to discuss about this movie. I'd like to actually talk a little bit about your book if you've got a second, but if there's anything else you want to chat about the movie, I want to give you the floor. 
Um, sure. Well, I'd like to talk about some of my favorite lines. I keep kind of like going back to them. But one, okay, one of my favorite lines in the movie is when she calls, when she says it's dead on balls accurate. It's an industry term. It's just so great when they're talking about the 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 um, leaking faucet and it's such a ridiculous scene too, where she's like, "Oh, I used enough talkage or whatever." I don't even understand anything she's saying. It's so technical, and um, so yeah, there's just some some certain uh, little lines that read the manual. And then afterwards, he goes, I guess it's fucking broken. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. And then one other last line, and then we'll, we can move on, is when uh, Vinny goes, honey, honey, where'd you read all about that disclosure shit? <laughs> like, she goes, what, they didn't teach you that in law school either? I'm like, he should know that. It's just so funny, that scene where he gets the, the files, and he feels like he, got, he has one up on the law. And it's like totally part of the judicial process is to share the files. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, those are just two little moments that I, I really appreciate in the movie that, you know, all the big scenes like the, yeah, you blend and the biological clock. Those are always like the big, like the, those are the, you know, the commercial moments. Remember, right. Remember when commercials back in the day um, would have, they'd interview the, um, the people who saw the movie afterwards, like oh, yeah. they'd show the commercial and then they'd show the people outside the theater and I, everyone did the, yeah, you blend. So that was like the catch line of the movie. And I knew that line before I even saw the movie. And so I, I like to, I like to focus on some of the smaller comedy comedic moments because, you know, like the two youths. <laughs> I, I was one, I was waiting to see when you were going to bring up the two youths, the two youths just happens to be, that's the, apparently the, the most quoted uh, line from this film is uh, the two, what? Two <laughs> And again, it's played perfectly with Fred Gwynn, who, you know, for those uh, that remember the Munsters, he was in Herman Munster or he was um, in Pet Cemetery and a myriad of other other films as well. But he that that exchange is like iconic. That was that was played on like all the previews. And you just mentioned like one of those kind of like commercials. The one that I always think of is whenever uh, they would like kind of like preview that my cousin Vinny was going to be on something. They always show that clip of Joe Pesci like hopping on like onto the desk. I would love to hear, uh, you know, like hear this. Uh, they so that's one of those lines that was always like played for like in, like on HBO. Like, hey, you know, coming coming next Monday, you know, uh, my cousin Vinny, and then they they clip to you know him. Like, I would love to hear this, and yeah. That's such a triumphant moment, though. That last, those last 10 minutes is so, like, satisfying and so exciting for the viewer because, you know, you know, as, as, uh, as Lisa says, we're watching him go down in flames, like, throughout the whole movie. And so those last 10 minutes, you're like, it's like the chariots of fire. You're like, yes, it's, (laughs) it's all coming together because her father was a mechanic, her three brothers were a mechanic, and everything just all comes together. And it's very exciting and very satisfying for a viewer. Yeah. And it's like like one of those early drop the mic moments, but in that case, it's just drop the picture like onto the dash. She's like, boom, and then everybody's just kind of like, oh shit, uh, I don't know what to do right there. I mean, it was it, it was such a, and it, it's it's genius. And it, it I mean, it, it you you reference the you know reading the manual, and you know as far as like with the with the wrench, and in this movie movie spends a lot of time talking about pause attraction. I learned so much technical shit on stuff that I know nothing about. And it 
it reminds me of there is this, um, how do I want to phrase it? There is a, a science um, endowment. It's called the, the Sloan Foundation. And what they do is they honor uh, people with, with grants and, and funding for telling stories that are, that are science-based. And the only caveat is it's not science fiction. It's, it's telling a story that is both entertaining but also true to the world of science in some, in some capacity. So, for example, like maybe, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a, a good example, uh, a movie like, for example, like A Beautiful Mind, right? That's a movie about somebody that obviously was dealing with everything that they had going on internally, uh, but it's, it's, crafted, it's crafted in such a way that that film would, that would be a movie that they would recognize for like the Sloan Foundation. Now, even though this movie isn't science-y, the, the specificity that they use when, it, when, when they're talking about, for example, pause attraction, or when they're literally talking about um, uh, using the certain wrenches and, and just the, the realism that you have and that specificity, the specificity, specificity uh, for that world, it, 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 every time I think about I, I'm reminded of that foundation that, that the, the screenwriter and filmmaker did such a good job crafting a very, very specific world that actually makes sense. And it is used as kind of like a blueprint for for attorneys when they when they talk about movies. I mean, this is this is the one that they that they go back to and just on on something that they've nailed not to besmirch a movie like A Few Good Men, which, although very, very quotable in many ways, isn't necessarily totally accurate with how things would go in the courtroom Um, or, you know, 12 Angry Men, which, again, great film, maybe inherent the wind because it's kind of, you know, kind of based on a true story. But this one actually feels that very, very, you know, again, very authentic. So just wanted to kind of like touch base with that before we kind of uh, concluded on it. Yeah. Well, it's a perfect. Yeah. I think we, we got all the, the, the greatest hits, the the good lines and uh, gave shout outs to uh, the supporting cast as well as the, the cast. And Yeah. Oh, the one thing I loved is um, uh, Lisa's purple backless cocktail dress that she wore uh, on the stand and as well as her inappropriate choices for the courtroom. I feel like the wardrobe was like the uh, uncredited, uh, you know, co-star in this movie. That and the, the little pink camera. <laughs> Those two are- yeah, her, yeah, the little pink camera, which was taking pictures of everything. Yeah, I mean. Um, costume design was beautiful. I mean, her, all of her outfits, her hair and makeup, all of that was great, but she had even Vinny's suit to his, his leather jacket and jeans. And then you, you referenced the belt all the way to kind of like his, his carnival suit that he wore. I mean, it, uh, so the, the costumes were a character in itself. I mean, so that that's brilliant, uh, that we, that we had an opportunity to at least mention that because it, it was, it was something that, uh, definitely adds some, some much, uh, much, much loved uh, added humor for it. So uh, Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about my cousin Vinny. I, I apologize if I, if at any time I talked over about you, but uh, I've talked over you. It's just, I've been really, really excited to talk about this movie and completely nerd out uh, even more so than I normally do. So thank you. Thank you for having me. This is fun. I love talking about this movie. So I can keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, now if you could, because I, you know, like I said, I, I don't obviously spoil anything for me or the listeners, but if you could talk a little bit, you know, a little bit more about, about your book, what, what are some, what are 
you know, like what was your process? Like how did, how did the idea, how did, how did, you know, what was the inception of it? It, uh, The inception actually came from a podcast. I was, I was uh, watching, listening, you know, uh, to a podcast. It was on YouTube. So I, you know, I could watch it, but I was cooking in my kitchen. It was fall 2019. And this band, do you know the, the Black Keys? Oh yeah. They were on. And it's, it's like a three or four hour podcast on a very popular podcast. And um, I was just listening to them bounce off of each other, a two piece band. And they were making me laugh. Well, particularly Patrick Carney, the, the drummer was making me laugh so hard. He's so funny. And, you know, Dan Auerbach, the, the guitarist, he was just kind of like, just like vibing off him, just being like, yeah, you know, he's like smoking a joint. Like, or I, I'm pretty sure it was a joint. I just kind of <laughs> like vibing off of, of Patrick. He was just so like feisty about so many things. And I kept saying in my head, what if Dan was a girl? Like, what if it was a guy girl band? How would that work? And so I started mm. playing with this idea in my head because my book is about a two piece band. And I started writing these characters roughly based on like fan fiction of the black keys. If Dan Auerbach was a girl and it has nothing to do with the black keys at the end of the day, but that was the inception came from a podcast. And I ended up writing, um, you know, parts of Pete's character is inspired by Patrick Carney. He has a potty mouth, um, but he is half French. Patrick Carney is not. And I kind of went on a tangent and went in a whole different direction, but that was the inception was the black keys and how just their connection to each other. And they've been in a band for like 20, 25 years and they're still putting out records. And it's a really amazing interview. I watched it two or three more times afterwards. And they talk about everything from like the Metallica documentary um, to traveling in France. And that was how it came about. And then the girl character who's who's Italian like me, uh, a little bit inspired by my background, but not so much. She's a little quieter than me. And so I just kind of pulled w- from the experiences I had and I created these two characters because it is a split POV between a guy and a girl. So it's read in a he said, she said format. And I um, I wanted to, it to be set in 2000 for some reason that just came from somewhere just within me because I wanted to put in all those 90 re- 90s references like My So-Called Life, like Snapple, um, and just all of the things that were important to us, you're going to hit a scene where they talk about the movie, my girl and how that had an impact on us because can I say it? The kid from home alone dies. In the right. movie. I thought that was really fucked up to watch when I was 11. Like I, that was the first movie I cried over. And so the characters have a conversation being like, what the hell? <laughs> Who thought that was a good idea in the casting department? Like he had like little girls were crying in the theater because they, they pitched the movie to us. They sold the movie. Like it was like a feel good movie in the sixties, the kid from home alone's in it. He's got this cute little sidekick and then he dies. <laughs> like yeah. all these had these little girls crying in the theater. So there's a little scene about that. Um, but there's a lot of references that I think, okay, there's a reference to the soul asylum video. And how, remember that video where they showed all the missing kids? Uh, Runaway train. Runaway train. And like me, every time I saw like a car driving slow down the street, I'd be like, oh my God, I'm going to end up in a soul asylum video. Like they're going to show my picture. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I, I pulled all these like things that are all have been in my head, been sitting in my head for 25 years. And I think I just kind of regurgitated them out into my novel. And now I feel like it was therapeutic too, to be like, just push all these pop culture references out. And I feel like I said my piece about like how I feel about the nineties and, and the videos MTV was so funny in the nineties because you would have like the smells like teen spirit video. And then the next, on the next video would be like Whitney Houston's I will always love you. It was just so bad, like diverse in just in, in, in style. Yeah, no. um, I mean, a lot to unpack there, but what I loved uh, or what I'm loving right now, I, using current uh, term because I have not finished uh, the novel. I've only, I've only had it for about a week. So just give me a little, a little time. But what I love about those pop culture references, none of them feel forced. So, I mean, I want to give you like praise on that where sometimes you will read something where it just does feel like they're, they're trying to add something to make it feel authentic, but it feels like a forced authenticism where the, in the case of, uh, slanted and disenchanted these references feel very natural to who these characters are so i i just want to give you you know uh two thumbs up on that for for uh for knowing your references and using them accordingly and not making it seem uh overindulgent or like you just hopped into a 1990s encyclopedia and said what what uh what were the cool kids doing then uh so that was awesome. So I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. I'm really, really digging it. Thanks. Yeah. Sometimes if you can, if you read something, it feels like just the references are like kind of plugged in mm-hmm. and, you know, I think you have to be from the time to just really get a feel for it. Like if I tried to write something based in the sixties, I mean, maybe I could, like it could pass, you know, because I really do like 60s culture, too. Um, but I think, you know, you have to part of you has to you have to just kind of live it like little things like MTV in the 90s was just like was just another world. Like we all lived in MTV. We would come home from school and watch either Save by the Bell reruns or right. Right. Yeah. You know, back to back Save by the Bell reruns. And did you did you notice, OK, you knew what the Save by the Bell episode was based on the banner behind the lockers? Like it would be like dance and like you knew that the the story was about a dance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, man, I, I used to live on that show. I knew, I knew it was hot trash, but I did love Saved by the Bell. Just, just loved it. Like all that stuff. Um, And I mean, and then, yeah. So like coming home, there'd be that. And then coming home and, you know, watching, turning on MTV and, and, you know, hearing whatever uh, news was happening through MTV. I mean, found out about Kurt Cobain through MTV, you know, like Kurt these Loder. Kurt Loder to- told us. Loder. Kurt Loder. Yeah. And I was like mad at Kurt Loder. I'm like, what's his source? Like I was like challenging <laughs> MTV news. And I was like, um, cause they said it the month before that he had died. And I was like, no, you're not pulling this on me again, Kurt. Okay. We already been here. I was like very resistant and then it ended up being true. So no, yeah, and it did end up being true. Um, now to kind of, uh, kind of wrap up, but also to keep it kind of related, just because we mentioned, uh, Kurt Cobain, I know that you play the guitar. Can you, uh, what, what, uh, can you tell me, what do you play? I play a 1950s Telecaster Ventera in surf blue i always have to mention the, the the color it's so funny i play in a little band and my guitarist is always like it doesn't matter about the color what are the pickups what and he's like asking all these questions and i'm like 
I don't know. I was like, it sounds good. I, you know, I'm not, I don't know the technical sides of, uh, of the technical, the body of the guitar as so, but I play in a little band. I play rhythm guitar. Um, we do just covers. It's just for fun. I play with other I'm tired sorry. parents and, uh, actually on, uh, June 21st is the, uh, the summer solstice worldwide. And we, in France, they have something called Music Day, and it's where all amateur bands go out and play in front of cafes or play at block parties or in the village square. And so we're doing a huge block party in front of my house, and I bought little, like, um, flower crowns for all, like, the little girls that are going to come, my, my son's friends, and we have bubbles, and we're going to do some Strokes covers. We're going to do an LCD sound system song. We're going to do some Johnny Cash. Um, what else? Um yeah, just just fun covers, and we we our name is just we go by mixtape because it's just like a mix of songs. I'm sure that's already a band name, but we're not making money. We play once a year, so <laughs> fun mixtape. If you're out there, it's your name to go with. I just needed something for the flyer. Um, but yeah, yeah it's a good band name. It's super fun. It's just a good. It's just a good time, and I get to pretend I'm a rock star for an hour and fifteen minutes, and uh, and that's it. Yeah. But I was well, inspired by Nirvana, yeah, because I uh, I started playing after um, after he died, and I had a Stratocaster at the time, and mm. so yeah, it was definitely a Nirvana fueled project. Yeah, I uh, my guitar is the the Kurt Cobain inspired uh, Jagstang, so I've got it in the Seafoam Green, uh, so that's ah, my that's my nice. guitar. Ah. Are you in a group or? No, 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 no. The world is not ready for 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 my vision. Uh, but I do, I, I, you know, I, um, but I've, I've played since I was like 15, but I would not call myself a guitar player. I, I play my songs and I play, um, nineties, uh, rock songs and, and, and some David Bowie. And that's, that's what I do. Yeah. You write your own songs though? Well, I mean, I would, I, I play basically recurring, uh, like recurring chords over and over. I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't do any. No, me too. I'm not. I'm just a rhythm guitarist. I'm like G, yep. D, E minor, yep. A. Yeah, I'm not. I am not a lead. It's an F chord in there. I'm just like I'll fudge it. I'll do the fake fudge, the fake F chord. I won't do the whole bar across. No, no, I know. Don't yeah. don't be mm-hmm. Andrew. Okay, I'm in a band. That doesn't mean I play well. <laughs> it says on my it says on my profile, shitty guitarist. I'm not joking. <laughs> um, well, I know our time's about up. I know it's super late over there. I mean, you're six hours ahead of me. So thank you for taking the time. But where can the where can the listeners find you? I'm on all forms of social media at Lisa C. Mashad, M-I-C-H-A-U-D. And yeah, you can find me, say hi, and I'll, I'll say hi back. I love I love chatting on the online and obviously on podcasts because I keep talking. <laughs> No, that's it. Um, so again, thank you. Thank you very much for, for, for taking the time to hang out with me and talk about, you know, a movie that you love and just worked out really well that it's a movie that I love. So the audience might actually get confused on who selected this film, but that's okay. That's okay. So Lisa, it was an absolute pleasure. Anytime you ever want to come back, you have an open invitation. I mean, if you want to talk singles, uh, which is another movie that is among my all-time favorites, it's an opportunity for me to talk about music because I, I'm such a huge music junkie, and I'm also a big like Cameron Crowe fan. So that movie is one of my one of my favorites there as well. So yeah, um, I'm not I'm not trying to schedule this now, but I'm just saying you do have an invitation at any time that you would like. 
<laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much for having me for this one. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be in touch on Twitter. And I'm excited for all the episodes you have lined up. I got a peek at your schedule. There's some goodies coming up. Very excited. Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's one I'm particularly excited to listen to. <laughs> well, awesome. All right. Well, thank you again. And, um, and feel free to say goodbye. <laughs> okay, bye. Thanks. Did I tell you or did I tell you or did I tell you? How great was she, right? I mean, absolutely awesome. So again, thank you very much to Lisa for coming on the show. And uh, I don't know, you know what? This might have been like a, if you were playing like a drinking game at home, how many times does Andrew say thank you? Would probably be all a little bit, a little bit, uh, a little bit toasty because I think I, I said thank you a good 10, 15 times, but whatever. I mean it. I was really, really thankful that she came onto the show and hopefully... All of you guys enjoyed that episode. And if you did, you should all leave me a lovely review on whatever format that you are listening to this, whether it's Apple, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, leave a review, leave a rating, tell your friends, share it, subscribe to this podcast. That's the way that we keep this, uh, this engine afloat or this boat afloat, this engine running, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm mixing metaphors. I'm all over the place, but that's okay. Whatever. Long story short, this episode is done and now I pass it on to you. So tell people about it so everybody else can hear about it. Everybody can learn a little bit about this podcast, but also people can check out Lisa's book because I'm not kidding. It, it's, it's legit. I mean, it, it's, it's a really, really good ride. And especially if you are fans of Nick Hornby, there's some legit vibes, which definitely latched into my own personal sensibilities as I saw a lot of myself in, in, uh, in, in these characters. But anyway, what do I, how do I want to really wrap it up? Well, again, follow me and follow Lisa, obviously, uh, her, her information will be in the detailed show notes as are mine. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, in a myriad of other places. Just look at the notes and uh, I'm going to I'm going to quit yapping away because I feel like I'm just ranting at this point or just going on and on and on. And I don't know how to finish this episode now as a result. So, yeah, let's just cut this all in. All right. We'll see you next time on another episode of Stamper Cinema. Bye, everybody. Bye.